0: Hey everyone, how's it going? Please come and join me. This podcast is an open door for those seeking a little hope that'll spark a fire. Spread Hope Like Fire, the podcast. I'm your host, Tony the Beat. I bring this podcast to the world every Thursday of each and every week. You can get this podcast several ways. iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, Overcast, and all your other major podcast carriers. Also, this is a listener-supported podcast, which is supported by listeners like you. Be sure to head over to Patreon.com forward slash Spread Hope Like Fire. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash spread hope like fire. Become a patron and help support the show. I'm very excited for this week's guest. It's my mentor, Ollie. And we get into parenting styles. Uh, For me, I grew up in a crazy parenting style, as you, you have gathered from all the stories I've shared thus far about growing up with an alcoholic drug addict. Um, I hope you find my being candid with you a little helpful. I, I don't know if it's helpful or if it's just depressing. I get both mixed reviews on what I share. So, you know, I just share what I what I think uh, is appropriate at the time. So I'm an open book and I feel that sharing what I need to share at certain times with shows is something that's going to really help others and that's all I really planned on doing was helping others so you know I'm being candid as much as possible and if you have any questions or you know you can always ask me anything my twitter twitter handle is at Tony the beat 85 that's at Tony the beat 85 uh excuse the uh the noise in the background I uh am currently locked out of my shed well, not a lo- long story, but I'm doing this in my house, so I live by a busy street, so there's a lot of uh, noise in the background. I apologize. On a <clears throat> more positive note, my book sales are through the roof. Mm, yeah, well, you know, I, I wanted to thank everyone that purchased a copy of the book. It has done phenomenal. It's actually outsold my first book, Renicops. And if you want to pick up a copy of both, they're available at Barnes and Noble, and they're available on BarnesandNoble.com, and they also are available on Amazon.com. You just uh, search "Spread Hope Like Fire," and it's a forty-day motivational book that I wrote in hopes to help help others start their day on a positive note and get them through a day that sometimes could be challenging, downright, uh, hard to even finish. So I just wrote a book that I thought would help others that I know would help me uh, at the times that I needed the help the most. And it's just, you read a little chapter every day. It's 40 days long. No idea why I picked 40, although I think I explained it in a couple podcasts back. <clears throat> so, the book is doing phenomenal. And um, if you want a good laugh and you're not uh, too offended by my 18 year old self, pick up Renacops. That's also available on uh, barnesandnoble.com and also available on amazon.com. That's Rinna cops It's uh, by yours truly. It's a, it'll provide a good laugh. It's a pretty raunchy book, but you know. It's pretty funny, I, I must admit. So please pick up both if you if you're wanting to read. Uh, it's "Spread Hope Like Fire" and "Rent a Cops." Also, August twenty fifth, I will be at Barnes and Noble in San Luis Obispo, California, doing a book launch slash signing at the Barnes and Noble there. They reached out to me, and uh, I'm very very honored to be able to get my book into their stores and. You know, get this get this community going, and it, it's just building and growing like I've never imagined. And I just want to thank everybody out there. So, again, thank you, everyone. I appreciate it, and it makes me feel I, I can't even express how I feel about how happy I am just starting this podcast, writing the book, and getting everything going, and knowing that I'm I'm helping so many people. That's that's all that I really care about is helping people, helping others, helping people through times that they, they need the help. So, again, I want to thank everybody. So, let's get into the show, and let's throw it over to my interview with Ollie. Here we go.
1: Hi, this is Ollie von Frausenbork. I'm a licensed marriage family therapist with over 40-plus years of experience in the field. I currently see individuals and couples in private practice.
0: And uh, what, what made you get into psychology and therapy? Well, it was
1: actually a long story. I was originally going to be a medical doctor, and then a friend of mine got me turned around and said, how about getting into psychology? And uh, started thinking about it and took some classes, got interested in it, and got sold on it.
0: And uh, what, what, is your, what is your main uh, focus of therapy in your private practice right now?
1: Well, I see individuals and couples, but what I'd really like to talk about today is something that I've noticed over the years of practice, and that's issues in parenting.
0: Let's get into that. I do see a lot of issues with parenting and role modeling and parenting style. And as everyone knows, I'm a student in grad school for psychology um, and... I have learned a lot about parenting style and i i I think ollie would be able to further the topic and further the educational part of it as he has stated he's been in this for 40 years so it's a it's a lot of clients that he's seen a lot of experience that he's gathered so um let's throw it over to ollie and see kind of what his take is on parenting and role modeling and all that
1: okay one of the things that uh has disturbed me over the years is the i'm going to say um dysfunctional parenting that i've seen um i hear it from my clients day in and day out as they come to see me and i see how the dysfunctional parenting has created dysfunctional adults and i really think that. As crazy as it sounds, I think we could change this whole world and make it a better place if we could just teach better parenting. After all, how many of you have actually taken a parenting class?
0: Parenting, as everyone knows, uh, I have my experience with it. I'm the product of dysfunction. Uh, my father was an alcoholic, uh, drug addict, uh, uh, verbally, mentally abusive towards me. So I, I can see where. He's coming from and understand that there is a lot of things that are going on within parenting and the foundation of the family has fractured and is relatively not, not there. And give us more insight into what you think would be good parenting practices. Or if you were to give advice to the listeners, uh, as you said, many people haven't. Taken parenting classes so well if,
1: if i may just cut you off there one of the things that comes to mind is albert bandura and in my psych 101 courses when i teach that one of the things that i always show is the video of albert bandura's uh experiment with the bobo doll and it points out how just a simple exposure to a video can actually cause a child to act in a violent aggressive manner What's also interesting is if you go and look at our world in general, the the uh, the animal kingdom, animals don't talk to their children. They role model for them. They show them how to behave, how to like say a, a lion to hunt down its prey. They show them how that's done. They can't talk to them. They can't tell them. And so what we tend to forget is that for the 18, 20-plus years that we live with our parents, we're exposed to their role modeling. And so, therefore, it's not so much what they say, but what they do that we learn from. And as you were saying, I, I had the same type of problem with my father in that he was abusive in his uh, disciplinary manner and just to share some personal stuff here what happened was that when I became an adult and had children my first child uh, I was scared to death of becoming my father because that was the only thing I understood and My first son, Michael, was maybe about a year, year and a half old when my mother came to visit and he did something wrong, which is what every child does, and she said, oh my God, aren't you going to discipline him? And cold chills went through my body as the thought of becoming my father came into my mind. Luckily, at the time, I was an undergraduate in psychology and I had learned child development and different ways of being with children and parenting styles and that sort of thing, and so I consciously chose to be different, to not be like my father, but also not be the opposite and be totally disengaged. So I was able to engage in a parenting style that was capable of uh, doing the right thing, not being dysfunctional and creating decent children. I like to point out to some of my clients and to my class that when I had my children go through adolescence, I didn't have any problem with them. And that's compared to the horror stories I hear from some of my parents now. So the role modeling is incredibly important in terms of how we teach our children to become adults and also to be parents later on in life.
0: And I'd like to take it back a little further, or a little back, Um, many of those that are probably listening don't know the bobo bobo doll experiment that's uh what that was it was a doll right and then the parents went yeah. in and bobo doll okay Last so doll. so the parent uh, uh an adult an adult went in and children watched from behind a, a window and played with this doll and uh one set of children would be exposed to the doll being played with nicely interacted with nicely, and then another set w- uh, of children would be introduced to uh, an adult playing with the doll and beating it up basically. And so, what happened was the children would imitate what the role modeling was for that experiment, just so you kind of know, just a little bit. If you want to look it up, it's online, you can always check it out, that's always a good thing to watch. More about role modeling, though. It's uh, interesting that you do say that many parents today they 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 role model through words instead of actions, which is very interesting to think about. As you you see parents usually screaming at kids mm-hmm. and telling them what to do instead of actually. Sure. I mean, the the example I use in class, for instance, I use
1: a couple of examples. Uh, One is, uh, for instance, the adult with a cigarette hanging out of their mouth telling their kid not to smoke. Well, uh, which message are you supposed to pay attention to? The verbal one or the one that's being role modeled for you? And what sticks with you generally is the role modeling. Uh, Another good one is the parent who swears at their child. And I'm just, forgive me here, I'm just... As an example, listen, kids, shut your fucking mouth and don't use that goddamn language anymore. You know, it's like, excuse me? You know, you're modeling exactly the behavior you don't want the child to use. And so this is problematic because it creates a dissonance in the child. What should they pay attention to, the words or the actual role modeling? The fact of the matter is, what do they see in day in, day out? The role modeling. And so you can tell them all you want, you don't want them to do something, but they're watching you and they're watching you to learn how to become an adult, just as a little lion cub is learning from its lion mother and father, how to be a lion, how to be an adult lion.
0: What would you say as like for me in my, cause you know quite a bit about how I was raised with my father and I went from one extreme to the other. I went from Not knowing how to be in a relationship to being in a relationship and um, wanting to and making sure that I wasn't like my father, but ended up like my father, if that makes any sense.
1: Yeah, it, it's a lot of work that's required to overcome these role models. A lot of people simply succumb to them and use the old phrase, well, if it was good enough for my dad, it's good enough for me, and it's good enough for my kids. And it's like, whoa, slow down there. We need to take a look at what we're doing to our children. you know. And in your case, and in many people who are adults in their cases, is to look at it and say, gee, was that a really great role model? And then, as I did during my college years, consciously look at it and go, "No, that's probably not such a good idea," and recognize that there are consequences for the types of role modeling that you're providing. You know, I think of, for instance, the uh, oh, this was a uh, white supremacist. Uh, this goes back a few years ago. A white supremacist who was really into uh, guns and uh, gun rights and all that and treated his 15-year-old son quite abusively for many years well the son saw him using guns and you know talking about threatening to kill people and stuff so he took one of the guns and he killed his father so you know the role modeling was there you know very clearly and so there are dire consequences for really dysfunctional role modeling and that's what I'm saying is we could save the whole world a lot of grief if we can show some positive role modeling and do the right things so that our children have an opportunity to grow up as strong, de- independent, self-sufficient, you know, morally conscious adults who have a sense of being a part of society and wanting society to survive.
0: I've seen a lot of parenting where they've grown up where... They're the products of abuse or neglect and tough disciplinary actions upon, that they've received from their parents. And then they go from that to the complete opposite.
1: That was what I did. That's exactly what a lot of people do. This is why, you know, it's sort of funny. The textbook throws the, the statistic out this way. It says, 30% Thirty percent of all abused children become abusing parents. Um, there's seventy percent of us that don't. The problem is that the vast majority of those people, what they do is they go the complete opposite way, which brings me to the point of what do you need to do to be a good parent? Okay, and this is the part that gets left out. So the role modeling, role, excuse me, the role modeling is essential in terms of showing the child how to be an adult, how to be a man or a woman, how to be a husband or a wife, how to be a father and a mother. But then there's some very essential parts to parenting that anybody can learn to do. They're simple, they're easy, and they're not abusive.
0: That brings a a good point. How would you suggest that people get to that point with parenting because you see so many parents out there that they come from this background and you you see them you'll see them in stores a lot of the times. The kids just running wild and the parents just it's yeah. okay. Just calm down. Don't do that. Yeah. This is
1: so wrong unfortunately. Uh we we in our societies, and I have to use plural because it's not just the American society we tend to do the pendulum swing from one extreme to the other you know one extreme back when i was a kid you know it was okay to slap your kid spank your kid harshly you know use sticks to beat them with paddles everything you know and now we've gone to the complete opposite where oh my god don't touch the kid leave him alone it's like whoa slow down there is actually a happy medium here and i believe in there are four principles that are essential to raising a child well, and and they're, they're simple. And the first one, unconditional love. Now, you were talking about being raised in a situation with an alcoholic father. Alcoholic parents are incapable of providing unconditional love, and that is something every child needs is unconditional love. Let me explain it a little bit. Conditional love is if you take the trash out, I'll really like you. Okay. Unconditional love is, Oh, you dropped the trash. Oh, that's terrible. Let me help you clean it up. I still love you. You're still a good kid. There's a difference there. You love the kid in spite of what he does. You gotta remember, kids are out there learning how to be human beings. They're going to do things wrong. That's normal. Okay. But they need to understand that they are loved in spite of that, which brings us to boundaries and that's what you were referring to for running around in the store and it just it makes me sick when i see that because you see it's when we're children with unconditional love that we need to learn boundaries i'm sorry i don't want some kid growing up not understanding boundaries seeing a stop sign going i don't care and driving straight through we all have boundaries boundaries are all over the place and the best place to learn them is when we're a child when we're a child, then we can learn boundaries with unconditional love so that we're accepted, loved, cared for, as we're told, no, you can't do that. That's not okay. You need to learn boundaries, okay? If you watch some of the parenting that takes place, and I'm going back to the lions again, it's sort of interesting because if you've seen some animal shows with you know, mom lions and their cubs, they just give them a healthy swat if they get out of line, do something they're not supposed to be doing. Now, I'm not suggesting swatting because that just increases violence. And we, know, we all know that lions are very aggressive animals. But the idea is to, in an unconditionally loving manner, say to the child, no, that's not okay. Okay, I still love you but you cannot do this, whatever it is. And this is where I say I don't get into societal norms or cultural values and things like that because they vary all over the place. But the idea is to raise a child who understands boundaries. They're incredibly important. Which brings me to the next point, which is consequences. Yeah, there have to be consequences for transgressions. Absolutely, but notice I use the word consequences, not discipline. We're not talking about punishment here. That's not the idea. Because there's actually positive consequences and negative consequences. Negative consequences are, yeah, go stand in the corner. You shouldn't have done that. Okay? I still love you, but you need to stand in the corner as a discipline. Or I'm taking away your cell phone for a day. Or whatever it is. Maybe you don't get to watch your favorite program for a couple of days. The, The joyous part is, once you get a kid up into... I would say seven eight years old you can actually sit down with them and you can come to an agreement upon what a proper consequence is for their transgressions and once they agree to it they buy into it and it makes actual uh, discipline easy because when the kid does something that they weren't supposed to do all you have to do is look at them and say excuse me you know what your consequences are for doing that and they may grumble a little but they recognize that oops yeah I agree to this as a consequence but there are consequences going back to the stop sign you're preparing them for adulthood where boundary stop sign you stop consequence cop sees you go through the stop sign you get a ticket that's part of society so this is all about teaching a child to become an independent self-sufficient adult so they learn what they need to learn in order to function well in a society
0: that brings up uh, a good point, uh, I see a lot of parents where the firstborn, uh, just just the birth order and how parenting evolves or transcends from the first kid, second kid, third kid, fourth kid, whatever. The the harshness of the the, the parenting to me, like I, I grew up and my older brother, I guess had more. Harsh discipline than I did. Would you like to elaborate more on why you think d- uh, discipline is so harsh at the beginning with the first kid, and then the second kid is a little more lenient, and then you get to the last kid, and it's they're per- they're they're really lenient with parenting.
1: <laughs> it's a common common thing to see. Uh, first off. Uh, Let me go back to uh, consequences and boundaries. Consistency. And this is kind of what you're talking about, but you're talking about generational consistency. I'm just talking about any kind of boundary or consequence needs to be consistent across the board. The problem that you see with uh, families where there are multiple children, excuse me, and I had four and they all got treated the same. Here's the issue. What generally happens is, and it's sort of funny, I, it brings to mind something my, uh, my ex-wife, the mother of all four of my children said, she said, you know, you should always have your second child first, that way you know what you're doing with your first child. And it's kind of a silly thing, but, but that says it. We don't know what we're doing with that first child. And so we tend to, again, here comes the role model, we tend to go back to the way we were raised in dealing with that first child and so it tends to be sometimes a little over the top uh, because we don't know what we're doing we actually just don't know what we're doing how many people out there seriously read parenting books so we don't know and so the first kid usually gets the worst of it because we don't know what we're doing we're we're short-tempered we're tired and we're, we're, we're fumbling around in the dark so the first kid unfortunately gets the worst of it Second kid, okay, now we know what we're doing, like my ex-wife said. She'd always have that second child first, okay? So with the second child, we've learned from our mistakes in the first time around. The other thing is, second children, they're watching, and they're seeing what the first kid's getting. So they're learning boundaries from watching, again, role modeling, the parent interact with the oldest child. And so they say, ooh, I'm not going to do that because my older brother just got the crap beat out of him for doing that, so I ain't doing it, okay? So there are two things that are going on with that second child. One, the parent already knows how to do parenting a little better, and two, the second child's watching the first child, recognizing what they can and cannot get away with. Third child usually is the baby in the family, or maybe just, say, the last child, usually the baby in the family, and by this time, Parents got it down and they're tired of parenting and they just want to take it easy and have a good time. And so a lot of times they get a little lax with the third and fourth child. Okay, Again, some parents are really good at this. They maintain consistency once they've learned from the first. Unfortunately, the first always gets the brunt of it. But after they've learned from the first, the second on, usually are treated fairly decently. The last one again becomes the baby. And therein, is usually a problem again.
0: How would you say you you correct that? Just with most people won't realize that that's what's going on. Like uh, my older my older siblings would always say, "Oh well, you get away with everything. We, didn't, we never got away with any of this. Like your room's filthy. You you get to play video games. You get to do." Uh, go where you want. This is with my mom, though, not my dad, because we had different fathers. But um, like my mom became more relaxed with parenting, and she wasn't as uh, strict as she was with others. So um, you see this a lot with generations now, where the sec- even the second child is pretty relaxed with the parenting, and the first one still gets really, the brunt of, I would say, experiment, the experimenting of parenting, because that's what it is. Is It's an experiment, and you don't really know what you're doing. And I, I think when I have kids, that's what's going to happen is, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a hard struggle to kind of come from my background of the parenting that I've seen and try because I don't want to be cuz you know uh Shirelli, I think will be the disciplinarian of the <laughs> <laughs> of the parents and I'm going to I'm going to have to go with what she says because I'm going to find it hard I think to discipline my kids because of the the, the terrible child I had a lousy childhood and I'm going to I think for me it's going to be hard to discipline them I think I'm going to be one of the parents that kind of like Oh, go to dad because dad's gonna let us get away with what we want, and so yeah. So how how do you? You that, bring
1: you, you bring up a few good points there, Tony, and I'm, I'm glad you said that. Uh, first off, um, single moms or single dads, you got a whole different ball game there, and this is where yeah they because they are a single parent, there's more pressure put on them to do the parenting. And they get exhausted, and they get lax, and they get tired, and they just don't, I, I don't mean they don't care in the sense that they don't care about their children, but they get to a point of this, I can't deal with it anymore. So single parenting is sort of an enti- entity in itself in that these people need as much support as possible, and they really need to hear what I'm saying in terms of, you know the consistency the consequences the the boundaries the unconditional love really 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 essential because things will just get worse as the children get older and this is why I said I had no problems when they got into adolescence because the boundaries were already established the consistency was there so let's talk about consistency a little bit between two parents like you said going to your dad okay there's a problem here in intact families where you have both the mom and the dad there, and I see this all the time, you have disagreement on how to discipline. Oops, that's a problem, okay, because the child will learn to do what's called triangulation, and I actually saw this with with my one grandchild, a three-year-old. Uh, this is back a couple of years ago, and uh, we were at a gathering, and Nicholas did something wrong, and he was corralled by my my son, and Michael took Nicholas and had him sit down and says, you're going to be on quiet time for a little bit. And the first thing Nicholas did, you're going to love this, mommy. (laughs) Yep, and here comes mom. And I'm watching this, I'm going to say, this will be interesting, because I made a point of never interfering in my kids' lives as adults. And so here comes mom, and, and she, interestingly enough, went straight to my son and said, What did Nicholas do?" And my son told her, and she just looked down at Nicholas and says, you're going to do what your father says, turned and walked away, and went, yay, team. And that's a classic example of being on the same page. Never, never, never disagree with the treatment of the child in front of the child. If you have an issue, just say, excuse me, can I talk to you? Go out of hearing range of the child and talk about how you're going to deal with the consequences of whatever behavior took place. You've got to be on the same page or that triangulation will take place like Nicholas tried to do. You know, wasn't happy with dad, so he was gonna go to mom and see if he could get, get his little consequence cut off. No, this is a problem and you will see this get worse and worse as you hit adolescence. Gee, can I go to the party and stay out till midnight, mom? No, of course not goes to dad. Hey, dad, can I go to the party and say out till now? Sure, go ahead, have a good time. Oops, now we got a problem.
0: Now you're going to have mom and dad fighting. Not a good place to go. I had recently done a, a podcast with um, a friend of mine, and she's a single parent. And as you said, single parenting is a completely different ball game. And she brought up a lot of points that I could relate to her son because I, I grew up with, uh, I always say, uh, I was a product of a single, I was raised by a single mom and, uh, stone cold Steve Austin, the professional wrestler via television. <laughs> so, <laughs> there you go. Um, but yeah, she, she always brings up that she tries to do her, her best with supporting her son, even though she's not, with him as much as she would like. There's a lot of stress within that, that relationship that, um, she's incurring with her son. So she tries to make up for it because she's, she, she's a single parent. She doesn't get any support from the father and she tries to make up by doing extra things for him, but she finds it hard to discipline him. She finds it hard and it's, because she feels so bad that she's having to work so hard she works like 16-hour days just to make ends meet
1: right and that that's what I was addressing is that there's a lot a lot of pressure put on a single parent because a lot of them have to work extra hours in order to support themselves and their child or children and so it's very very difficult on them and so unfortunately they don't take the time which would be paid off so well for them take the time to set those hard, fast boundaries uh, and consequences so that the child knows what the rules are, it makes life so much easier. They don't understand it. It goes back to a, 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 actually a, a lesson that's learned in my uh, psych classes that I teach on uh, operant conditioning. And it's, imagine the child in the shopping cart uh, as you're heading out the store and, excuse me, heading out to, the, to the, um, the checkout line. And we all know, what's at the checkout line? Bingo. Racks of candy. And what's a kid going to want? The candy. And so what ends up happening, the kid asks for the candy and then things escalate from there until finally the mom gives in, gives the candy. Well, there are two operant conditions that took place there, negative and positive reinforcement. In the child was the positive reinforcement. He learned that if he escalates, he'll get the candy. He'll get the reward. Mom learns that if she gives the candy, the kid will shut up. So you got both individuals being reinforced in a different way. And this is the problem. Whereas take the kid out of the store, come back and get the shopping later. You know, what you do not, do not, do not want to do is give in to a child's tantrums ever. Okay, because that's just going to set you up for increased behavior problems later on. Now let me throw in a caveat here. The problem is if you're going to start implementing consistent behaviors and consequences plan on the behavior, the negative behavior escalating initially. That's normal. That's just going to happen. The kid's going to have a hissy fit like the kid in the candy line or, excuse me, the checkout line trying to get the candy. They're going to escalate because they're going to keep pushing, pushing, pushing until they get what they want. They want to see how far they can go to get what they want. So the behavior will escalate, guaranteed. I saw this in all four of my kids. Hit the terrible twos and they go through their tantrums and everything. And they would escalate attempting to get what They want it, because that's what they're doing as little human beings. They're pushing things to see how far they can go. That's what it is, it's testing boundaries. And this is where you have to set that firm boundary and say, no, 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 no. And then they learn, and then life is easier.
0: Would you say that not setting these boundaries or giving in, like you said with a kid with the candy, you think this leads to children developing conduct disorders?
1: Absolutely, the research is pretty pretty strong on that. There's a really good video that I use in my class which shows the four different parenting types and the text that I use only uses three parenting types. And one of them is the permissive, let the kid do what he wants, the authoritarian, which is kind of what, Tony, you and I grew up with. You know, they'll beat you into submission.
0: Good times. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And then uh, the, what's called the authoritative, which is the, what I'm talking about, the unconditional love, setting standards, that sort of thing. What's been shown is that in your permissive style where there's no set boundaries because the child doesn't learn boundaries, they actually end up, a large percentage of them, becoming delinquents. These are the ones that don't care that there's a stop sign. They don't care uh, that there's an authority figure saying no they don't care. And then they get to the point sometimes, with what do you mean you're saying no? You can't say no to me. And they develop that kind of an attitude. So yeah, there, there's some real problems later on in life for that kind of a uh, behavioral uh, parenting style.
0: What do you see with the problems of the other two parenting styles?
1: Okay. Authoritarian, which is what you and I grew up with. A lot of times what you see is rebelliousness. Uh, because we don't like the authoritarian style. We don't like being told what to do, when to do, how to do it, and we rebel against it. So a, a lot of times these kids will also get into trouble later on in life um, and have difficulties. Um, now, as far as the authoritative, these kids generally go grow up to be pretty decent kids and members of society because they understand the purpose of boundaries, they understand the idea of consequences, and they feel good about themselves because they got unconditional love. I mean, sorry, but it, it's kind of a no-brainer. It works, and it produces good kids.
0: And you said there was a fourth one?
1: In the book, there's a fourth one, and it's a, it's a kind of an ambivalent style where sometimes it's aggressive, excuse me, authoritarian. I see it as aggressive, but authoritarian and permissive they go back and forth all that does is just confuse the child they don't know whether they're coming or going they don't know whether they should behave or not behave and again this creates problems later on in life because i just as i just said they don't know whether to go with the boundary or not
0: yeah i've seen this a lot too in um, parents where they they like swat their kid and then 2 seconds later they're Oh, you okay? Love you. How are you? So they're very really confused they are confusing the hell out of their kid. And exactly. Kid doesn't know what to do, so they exactly. Kid kind of just does what they want because they don't know what. The- yeah. What I they're mean, gonna get
1: exactly, Tony? I mean, that's the whole thing. If you don't know whether you're gonna get hit or praise, well, then you just kind of go do what you want to do and hope for the best, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Or you do the opposite, like some kids. And this is what I forgot to mention earlier about temperament. Or you're the temperament type that you know is just very submissive and just won't do anything after a while because you're afraid of what kind of response you'll get and so let me just briefly talk about temperament because it's one of the personality characteristics that we're born with it's it's passed on genetically this is as i say the little babies in in the uh, newborn nursery where they're screaming their heads off as opposed to the other ones which are just lying there Ooing and eyeing, okay? Temperament's there from birth. And so unfortunately, if you have an aggressive temperament, these are kids that have difficulty making it in the world because parents just, quote, don't know what to do with them, unquote. And so what they don't understand is they have to work a little extra harder with these kids, be more consistent with them, more loving with them, so that they understand that the boundaries are not about the child being bad, but about the child doing things that could be harmful to them. So it's a really really rough time with them. Now on the flip side, if you've got a really ooey, cooey, nicey temperament, and you are brought up in an authoritarian type of situation, you can become really passive and submissive and and that way. And that was what happened to me. I was a kind of a cooey-ooey kind of kid and with the authoritarian style I became very submissive and passive early on in my life until I recognized what was going on and made some changes. Which brings me to my ultimate point. You can change. That's the beauty of it. We all have the potential for change. We all have the potential to be different. We do not have to be the parents we had. When I talked to my father, I confronted him when I was in my 30s about the way I had been raised, and I said, why? And he just lowered his head and said, didn't know any better. Well, oh, duh, and that sort of settled it for me, and I was okay with him after that because he didn't know any better. He didn't go to parenting school. He didn't take psychology classes, but he could have been different if he had simply taken the time to look and see what he was doing and how he was simply following through on the way his father had been to him. We have the ability to be different. We can change. That's why I do what I do, because I see people all the time who have come to the point in their lives where they go, uh, this ain't working for me. And they come in and they say, I need to do something. I need to be different. And you can, that's the beauty of it. We as human beings have that capacity to change and to be different, unlike the lower animals, like the lion I keep talking about. But it's sort of, I was thinking about this phrase the whole time I've been talking here about lower animals. We've all heard the expression, monkey see, monkey do. Well, there you go. And that's the problem. They don't have the ability to communicate in a language on how to be different. They don't have the ability to learn that we as humans do. We can go to school. We can learn things. We can take parenting classes. We can be different. There's hope for us.
0: That is true that we are able to adapt and change. And it just takes a little, well, not a little, a lot of work. It's not easy. As, um,. I would know going through therapy and having to do the work is something that many of us don't want to do but in order to change we have to do it and um wrapping this up um is there anything you want to add before we wrap it up just well it's summarize funny at it all
1: yeah I, I just sent an email off to some people here recently because I attended a party with a a uh, group of millennials, I'll call it. Uh, and I was really impressed with the sense of community and parenting that I saw there. And so I wanted to compliment them on it. And what it brought to mind, and I included this in my text, uh, my email to them, uh, Carl Rogers, uh, when he first came out, the positive humanist that he was, and was asked how he could be so positive about the world since it was seemingly coming to a terrible place. And Carl Rogers said, when I look at the world, when I look at society, I'm pessimistic. When I look at my clients, I'm optimistic. The point is, we can be different, but we have to want to be different. We have to come in and do therapy or go to classes, you know, and and recognize that we can be different and do the work. It is hopeful.
0: All right. And if... um are you taking clients right now? <laughs>
1: uh, I have a couple of openings, <laughs> but I have a lot of people that work for me and with me.
0: Um, uh, just uh, plug your company oh. in.
1: Well, I have a company now I formed a couple of years ago. It's called Optimal Interventions. And I have two offices, one in Santa Maria and one in San Luis Obispo. And I have several licensed and interns who are working for me. Excuse me, associates. They just change the term now, uh, working for me. I like to say with me uh, because they're all really, really wonderful uh, colleagues and professionals. Um, So, yes, we we have some openings.
0: If they wanted to contact for appointments?
1: Well, probably the easiest thing to do is just use my phone number. It's 805-202-9335, and then I'll refer them to my admin assistant.
0: All right. And we'd like to thank Ollie for all his uh, brilliant information. <laughs> his 40, 40 years of uh, experience is really... This man has uh, changed my life. Everybody knows. I, I bring him up, I think, in every podcast about how uh, the, the mentorship between us has grown and how... It's gotten me to where I am with this podcast, with the book, with, uh, school. So, uh, maybe we'll have him on again. He's full of information. So if you are seeking that help and you wanting, you're wanting to, um, ignite that spark of hope to change and you just need someone to talk to, uh, give him a call, text him. Um, he's really good at what he does and. You know, uh, just reach out. that's all it takes is reaching out. Don't be fearful, don't be don't think you're gonna be judged because you know we're all we're all humans, we all have our weaknesses, and all it takes is just you know that that phone call, that that helping hand, and you, you never know your life may be changed for the better. So uh, let me throw it back to myself in my studio shed. Thank you for joining us this week, Ollie. That was very informational. I am very happy that Ollie was able to join us and share a little bit about parenting. It's a very important aspect of our life, of our society, and it really opened up my eyes to see a lot of just inequalities and challenges that we see in society as parents. We're not all perfect parents. None of us will ever be perfect parents. We're all going to screw up our kids one way or another. So, you know, at least, you know, we have a little more insight. And if you are searching for a little help, contact Ollie. He is available. He's phenomenal. I would highly recommend seeing him. Uh, Again, you can get, get a hold of him as he left his contact information. And I'd like to thank everybody for joining me this week. Also, if you are still wanting to pick up the book, Try, try to make it out to uh, san luis on august 25th where i will be doing a book signing and you can pick up the book in person and uh i'll sign it for you and we can talk a little bit so uh hope to see you there august 25th san luis obispo california at barnes and noble for this week i'd like to thank everybody for joining me for tony the beat i am tony the beat and i will see you next week take care of those you love